Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 3 and Proverbs chapter 14. We feel like we can compromise and it not grab us or pull us back. We don't pursue the Lord in our, in our study of the word or in prayer. And because the current of this world, the riptide of this world pushes us away from God, we feel like we can just let go and not lose ground. And usually when you hear the word backslide, people think the extreme where you just go all the way back to what you were doing before you got saved. And that is a, a form of backsliding. But primarily today I want to talk to the people that have just left their first love. That have grown cold in their faith. Where you can sing songs about God and have no connection in your heart about the song you're singing. To hear about the wounds and the pain of others and no longer feel it. A dullness, if you will. A spiritual malady. A, 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 I don't know, a disconnect, if you will. And the Bible says that we are to encourage one another so that we don't get hardened. Because if you think sin will harden your heart, try, try faking life, spiritual life, and see what that does to your heart. Christianity is supposed to be spontaneous. It's supposed to be organic. It's supposed to be seen on your countenance, heard in your words, felt in your presence. It's the, it's the glow of God. It, it's, it's what separates us from the world. We have air from another world. We breathe in the ark, the wind of God. We, our hope for heaven colors everything and we just... We're in this world, but we're not of this world. But when you slide back, it's you have enough of the world, you can't enjoy God. And you have enough of God, you can't enjoy the world. And you're just miserable. And the Bible said the backslider in heart is filled with their own ways. Your thoughts, your ideas, your goals, your dreams, your pleasures, your wants. Your needs, your actions, your lusts, your vices, your opinions, your attitudes. Here's how you know. It's like one of the first things to look for is if it's that you invite God into little pieces of your life because there's not a whole lot of room left because of what is going on with you. I, don't, I didn't want to do this today. I, I am a pretty transparent person. I, I'll share with you my stuff I have for 18 years here. But a lot of this is easier to do privately. But maybe if we walk it together, some of you will get the breakthrough that you and I so desperately need. Number one, the four things I talked to you about. Let's talk about turning away from God. Turning away does not mean running away. It means turning. Those of you that have been married longer than two weeks, you know what this is like. Someone's on your nerves. They're talking to you, and you just kind of turn a little bit. <laughs> you ain't left the house. You ain't left the room. You ain't left the marriage. You've just turned a little bit. 
Or you're talking to your husband and he's on the computer and he doesn't hear you and he doesn't hear you and you're telling this story. And you said, and I went to Kroger and he's not looked up. He said, then I took off all my clothes in the parking lot. And he, he still hadn't looked up because he's turned away. He's preoccupied. See, not all backsliding is spitting at the Savior. Some of it's just ignoring him. Being more preoccupied with your world than his world. Turning your face away from him. I have to purpose and be intentional when my wife walks in the room or our little girls are in the room. That once I see them, I turn my stuff off so I can give them the attention. Because I want my face to always be towards them. I think God feels that way. He wants us to have our face turned towards Him intentionally, delighting in that. We turn away from God by turning our affections away from Him. I don't want anybody, I don't want my wife to light up around anybody like she does around me. It's okay for her to enjoy you, but I want to be the more. I want her affections, her attention. Her delight to be towards me. I wonder if God feels like that you give him your primary affections. Your primary attentions. We turn our pleasure away from him. We find our greatest pleasure in other things and other people. And this is hard when you love your spouse. To love God more than you love your spouse. Or when you love your children to love God more than your children. And it, it takes... See, you don't decide to do that. You can't just decide and it happen. This happens as you spend time with Him. The love just happens naturally. He wants to be our greatest pleasure. He wants to be our greatest affection. And He wants our face to be always turned towards Him. We turn our energies away from Him. Part of the turning away. When we first got saved and we had our first loved, we served him. We served the local church. We served parachurch organizations. We just wanted our life and our body and our abilities and skills to be used for the glory of God. And now instead of using them for him, we tip him with them. And I'm not talking about getting your money in this place. That's not what I'm talking about. Our energies... I believe it was the church of Ephesus in Revelation where Jesus said, I have this against you. You left your first love. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and repent and do the first works over again. Nobody raise your hand. Do you, is anybody else in this place remember that when you first got saved, you harassed the pastor and you call him and say, what can I do at the church? And he goes, what? what? No, I just, I want to do something, not to be saved. I'm already saved. I want my energies to go towards the church. And something happens when you've been on the worship team for a year or two, or you've been on staff for a decade or two, or whatever, that it's, you get this, well, God and everybody ought to be happy. I've already done all that. In the same way, a man doesn't want to think that his wife is with him intimately because it's been a while and I just need to do that. In the same way, 
little girls and little boys don't want to load up the softball equipment in the car to go play because daddy has to do it. And he, sure, let's go ahead and get this over with. I think God wants our energies to where we give him our best. Turning our worship away from him. Singing songs that we don't mean. Praying prayers that we don't feel. We stand because the worship leader says stand. We sit because the worship leader says sit. We say amen when the guy says tell us to say amen because our heart is not full. Sometimes when Kelly and I are in a restaurant, it'll be two things going on at the same time. You got a table over here where the husband and wife hadn't even looked up. He's just cutting steak and she's thinking she's off looking. Or, or you look at this table and they're both on the phone talk, doing this, not talking to each other. And then you got this other couple looking at each other. And it's not worship, but it's close. She ain't even touched her food. And she's just looking in them dreamy eyes. And, you know, he's looking back and he's like, I ain't much for words, but I love you, girl. And he's, he's overcome. <laughs> Where you love them more than food. You love them more than your favorite sport or recreation. Have you turned away at all? If you have, you know that sick feeling you have in your gut? Because there's no real excuse. Imagine what it feels like when you're a preacher. Knowing what you know. Remembering what you've preached to others. And you didn't run away. You just kind of turned away. And substituted things and people and pleasures for the Lord. Just turned away. Turning back from following God is backsliding. Turning back, changing directions. See, you can be in the right direction... And turn your face away. But turning back is a totally different thing. Turning back from the path of righteousness. Turning back from the path that God is leading you. Turning back. You deciding where you go. When you go. How you go. Instead of I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going to follow Jesus. See when you follow Jesus. You don't get to call the shots. You don't get to pick the destination. You don't get to pick the speed in which you travel. You just follow him. And there are Christians in this place that are sons and daughters of God. But they've turned back. They may not have ran back yet, but the direction has changed. Let me tell you this about direction. If you're off one degree, if you you start a rocket here at Cape Canaveral and you send it into space, if it's off one degree, it don't look like much in the beginning, but you follow it for a couple hundred thousand miles and it's in another galaxy. And some of us have turned back, but it wasn't a U-turn, so no one's really freaking out, but you know. Because if you're not directly behind him, following him, then you're leading. And if you're leading, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We turn back because we miss the pleasures of our old sins. 
the wooing of our past life. Remember the leeks and the onions and the garlic? And the Israelites said, we miss all of that. We miss all that. And you just want to go, did you miss getting beat with whips? Did you miss the nakedness and the homelessness? Did you miss not having a voice in the court system? Did you miss being a slave? And we all are deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. We miss the pleasure of sin, but not the paycheck of sin. We turn back because spiritual disciplines require discipline. And we get tired of living a disciplined life. And we just want to be free and free spirit and do what we want to do. We turn back because of failure and condemnation. There's some of us in this room today, you've turned back from following God because you keep failing. And there's a, a pure part of your heart. It's misled, but it's pure. I'd rather just not even do it if I'm just going to keep failing. Well, that sounds good, but that's not God's plan. We are to keep coming back after our failure and repenting. Coming back after our failure and repenting. And you say, well, it's just better if I just quit. No, it's not. It's better to repent and be forgiven than it is to quit repenting. We turn back because of the brightness of God's countenance. See, some of you, what, what happened is you started walking close to God and that messed you up because the closer you got, your sinfulness was darker than it's ever been before. It exposed it. It exposed your selfishness or self-centeredness or ego. It, it, it exposed your diva mentality or sense of entitlement. And if you pull back from God and turn back just a little bit, see, the farther I get away from these lights, the less bright it is, the less bright it is the less bright it is. And I'm still on the stage. I just don't want to live in the light of his countenance because if I get too much in the light, it's like those makeup mirrors them women have. And they got them attached to your wall with the light that'll burn your retina off. And you get up there and the, the light's on you and you'll get a magnifying glass. You go, oh my goodness. And you'll go buy you a Peori kit. Guys, don't try that. You'll put it on your nose and you'll rip out blackheads that you had when you were seven years old. You're like, half your nose will come off on the tape. I tried it. <laughs> hey, don't buy a bright makeup mirror unless you want to see the truth. Right? You got whiskers look like curb feelers coming off of that thing. <laughs> I got to laugh some. This medicine's strong this morning, so... You walk with God and you get close, he won't let that stuff slide. You'll see stuff in you. You'll do something and it's so bright. You'll see, I did it to be seen. You'll say something and say, oh, I just, I want you to pray for someone. And you'll tell somebody something and you're walking close to God. And he said, no, you just gossiped. You didn't want them to pray about it. You wanted them to know what the deal was. And see, that's uncomfortable. So we turn back because the brightness is too bright. And by the way, if you're walking close to God, that brightness is so bright, you can't see other people's stuff for seeing your own. You're busy in your own life, pulling two by four beams out of your eye before you deal with splinters in someone else's eye. We turn back because following God means daily denying myself and picking up my cross. And I don't like denying myself. 
I like satisfying myself. And if you are going to follow God, you must pick up your cross daily. And your cross is God's will for your life. That's your cross. Not your will for your life, God's will for your life. Pick it up, deny yourself, and follow me. Well, I don't want to do that. Then you're not following God. You cannot follow God and live a life intentionally satisfying yourself. You must live for the pleasure and the purpose of God. Well, I don't want to do that. So we turn back. We turn back because following God means absolute surrender and obedience. We our relationship with God is, is servant-master. It's God-human. It's father-son. And you know this son that you've fed and you've clothed him for 15 years and you've invested a couple hundred thousand dollars in food alone and you're giving him an education and you ask this boy just to cut the grass. That's all, just cut the grass. And you come home and say, why wasn't the grass cut? Yeah, I didn't feel like it. I'll take you out. I'll... I know y'all don't do that no more. Y'all time out now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Only time out I knew growing up was they whip you so hard. You go, time out! Up in here, you're killing me! Time out! <laughs> Those of you my age, can you imagine you telling your father, I ain't going to do it. I, didn't, I told my daddy one time, I ain't going to do it. I didn't see him for a week. And then this left eye opened up just a little bit. <laughs> you ever get tired of having to mind him? I do. I'm grown. Grown up in here. I'm 50 years old. I call my own shots. I'm his boy. Why do I got to do that? Because I said so. And my flesh hates because I said so. We turn back because we're rebellious. And we turn back because following God is difficult. Listen, knowing God is not difficult. Receiving grace is not difficult. Worshiping is not difficult. Following God is difficult because the path of God is narrow. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there go in thereat. But narrow is the way that leadeth to life. Narrow. Following God is difficult because His way is steep. Following God is difficult because His way is not without opposition. God's way is countercultural and counterintuitive. God's way is a narrow way, but it leads to life and wholeness and peace and heaven. And we turn back and get out of the way and create our own way and stamp God on it and act like we don't know the difference. I told you that backsliding is turning loose of ground once gained. Sanctification once held, now lost. Habits and addictions that were once defeated, now you're enslaved again. Servanthood lost to selfishness. The joy of the Lord lost to melancholy and somberness. Lands of gratitude lost to the invading army of complaint and murmuring. No longer living out our identity in Christ. Living in the freedom of Christ. Filled with the joy of Christ. Enabled by the power of Christ. And living for the glory of Christ. 
What are you doing today that you didn't do when you first got saved because you repented of it? I repented. I confessed it as sin. I turned away and walked away. But now, according to our foolishness, now we're enlightened and we're free from this legalism. That's our number one cop-out. We're free from this legalism and I'm free to do all things. Paul said, all things are lawful. Paul also said, all things are not expedient to your Christian faith. And what the truth is, the majority of the time, is we were convicted back then and we repented because we loved him. And now we're back doing the same things that we repented of before and said, God's okay with it. I'm okay with it. To the detriment of our soul. To the detriment of our soul. A backslider is filled with his own ways, his own rationalizations, his own reasonings, his own justifications. He can justify anything. Jeremiah 3.11, it says, Israel is good at justifying her sinfulness. I got one better for you. John is good at justifying his sinfulness. He's good at it. Regretfully so. Let me tell you how gracious God is. And I love you for it. He loves me so much that he will make my life miserable so I don't get stable and satisfied in a life where there's distance between him and me. He will not let it work for me. So after all the justification, after all the rationalization, and I ain't even talking about big stuff. After all those things, he said, yeah, but John, me and you used to walk hand in hand. Yeah, but John, you used to walk right behind me. John, you used to say that my commandments weren't grievous. John, you used to be the most joyful Christian you knew. What happened to you? And he's looking for us to say, I turned away. I walked away. I justified myself. I backslid. And I know it because I'm filled with me. And in, we're, in our flesh, we cannot please God. The worst part of backsliding is the renouncing of our belief in God or our commitment to God. Knowingly and unknowingly, this can happen. Accidentally and intentionally, quickly and gradually. Sometimes uh, backsliding happens in extended trials. During dry seasons with no rain, wind or life. Sometimes when we're dissatisfied or bored with our life. Backsliding inevitably happens when we ignore the conviction of God in our life and the grieving of the Holy Spirit. And I know this is going to make some of you mad, but hey, just be mad at me. You'll say this. You've lied to yourself so long, or we have, they won't even know the difference no more. Well, that don't convict me no more. That don't well, of course it don't. Because the first 50 times it did convict you, you grieved the Holy Spirit. And our heart became hard. And so now it's not that we're not convicted. It's we don't feel it no more. Searing our conscience with a hot iron. Deadening the membranes of our body, our soul. 
And listen, most of us are junior high, senior high to adults, and I'm not trying to be graphic, but just this is the best way to describe it. When the Bible speaks of a circumcised heart, okay, when a little boy is born and the parents decide to circumcise his little private area, the doctor pulls the skin and cuts it back off his private area, tucks it under, and stitches so that there's such a sensitivity there. That's one of the results. First of all, it's a cleanliness issue. And secondly, it's, it's uh, for sensitivity. And you know, a little boy, when you're changing his diaper, you change his diaper and just wind hits him. And he'll pee all over you and everybody else. Because look, there's no skin covering his little private. And he's sensitive. And the Bible says we are to have circumcised hearts where everything that's in the way is cut away. So if God just brushes by us, we feel it. If he's displeased, we feel it. If he loves on us, we feel it. And there's intimacy born and connectivity. But what happens when we compromise and when we choose to live outside of his best our heart gets layers, scar tissue, if you will. And God could brush by us and we wouldn't even know it. He'd speak to us in a song and we wouldn't even know it. Our hearts are hard through the deceitfulness of sin. Not dead, just hard. But my question to you is, what's the difference between dead and hard? Neither one of them can feel the Lord. Backsliding happens. When we neglect our personal relationship with Jesus. Backsliding happens because of what we let through our ear gate and eye gate. I am not a soapbox preacher, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I'm telling you. What you listen to and what you watch affects you in ways that you have no idea. What you watch and what you listen to. Be careful of what you hear, the Bible says. And be careful of what you see. If it offends you, pluck your eye out. Better not to look at it all. And here's the dilemma for all of us. Not young people alone, all of us. We are inundated, whether we're looking or not, with things that said you can have more, you can have better, you can have new, and you can have forbidden. You can have more, you can have better, you can have new, and you can have forbidden. Have you been thinking about this? Would you like this? Non-stop. And I don't know how all of this is going to play out, but the Lord's talking to me about simplifying because I can't handle being bombarded with all these distractions. Backsliding happens when you let something take root in your heart that's not of God. It can happen through loss, tragedy, offense, or woundedness. And it may happen through unrealized expectations, disillusionment, or disappointment. And for a Christian, it's not so important that you know exactly how it all happened. It is important to know what caused it so you can repent of it. But it's more important just to know your condition. So how is it with you today? Can you ever remember a time where you love the Lord more than you do today? Closer to the Lord than you ever were Closer than you are today. More sensitive to the Lord than you are today. If you can remember a time, then you're backslid.
If our musician would come, please. I'm going to give you my simplified list for me. Your warning signs may not be these. But this is how I know. Outside of, you know, you say the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about evidences that it's already happened for me. I lose my spiritual appetite. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read. I don't want to worship. I just ain't hungry. I'm filled with something else. And I'm not hungry. No matter how good the meal you're offering me is, I'm satisfied. Self-satisfied. And I know that something's wrong in my heart when I don't want to read, and I don't want to pray, and I don't want to worship. I know something's wrong when I lose my peace. Peace I give to you. Peace I give unto you. I leave it with you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. John, don't let your heart be troubled at all about anything. Don't ever be afraid. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. I've overcome the whole world. John, this is how you know that you and I are good. you got peace in your soul. Peace about yesterday. Peace about today. Peace about tomorrow. And the peace of God guards your heart and mind. And when I'm anxious or troubled, it lets me know. I'm out of balance. And any imbalance is out of balance. So how's your peace quotient today? How's your spiritual appetite today? Coldness of heart. When I don't weep freely or laugh quickly. Listen to me. If I can't weep freely or laugh quickly. If I can't be touched with someone's pain or happy with someone's joy, you just got that melancholy that settles in. That <sighs> one of the negatives of being transparent is that I, I I can't in good conscience hide it. So my wife gets to see it and I'll be around the house. <sighs> She'll say, What's wrong? I don't know. Just sighed. Children don't sigh. And I want to be a child of God. I just I want to be alive. A loss of joy. A loss of joy. Joy in the little things, man. Joy in the small things. Deep joy about your babies and your wife. Joy about forgiveness. Where you just break out in spontaneous song. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. For joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you that you'd have joy, man. And when I, when I turn away or walk away or change direction, joy is gone. And I keep looking for things to stimulate me because I'm joyless. God's word says that he's forever married to the backslider. And in this room, there are people that have just turned their face a little bit. And some of you have a name that you're living and you're dead as a hammer. So, even though it's not trendy anymore, (laughs) I invite you to repent. 
So our altars are open if you would like to come and repent. No one prays with nobody today. This is you and God. And we're going to take a few moments. And if you have to leave, if you've ever left reverently or quietly, today's the day. But these altars are open for the next few moments for us to pray. rest of us in the sanctuary, would you stand and make a quiet place, a secret place where you are, and strengthen those cords that remain? Just stand before the Lord and recommit.
while these are in their altar still praying, I want to give you this for the rest of you in the sanctuary. The cure for backsliding is absolute honesty. We must call it what it is, as it is, like it is, when it is. Absolute repentance. We must turn from our choices and past that created it and get back in line. Absolute surrender. We must throw ourselves into the arms of God. Absolutely. Absolute forgiveness. We must accept His grace and let it heal our hearts. Listen to this in Jeremiah 3. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I'll heal your wayward hearts. Yes, we're coming, the people reply, for you are the Lord our God. He said, I'll heal your heart. See, we infected our heart, but we can't heal our heart. That's the gift of God. He heals us. And this is my favorite. Absolute restoration. The evidence of true repentance is that you do not carry the guilt and regret. That was conviction. That's what conviction was for. When I've been healed of my backsliding, I'm living in the newness of today. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who no longer walk after the flesh but after the Spirit. We don't prove our repentance by grieving over forgiven sin. We repented when we heard the Word. And the gift of grace is, well, you're forgiven. Restoration, immediately accepted. It's the last thing I want to give you, and I'll let you go home. It's just a perfect illustration. There was a story of a, a girl in one of our inner cities here in the United States that left at 15, never told her mother. It was just a single mom raising her. She never saw her again. A decade went by. The mom didn't know if she was living or dead, and she took the path of the streets, which led to drugs and alcohol, prostitution. You know, the stories are thousands upon thousands you hear but the ending you may not have heard so near her 30th birthday it had been almost 15 years she decided to go back home she was haggard weathered the drugs had taken their toll taken their toll on her face and her hair was thin her skin was jaundiced and she just said, you know, maybe perchance my mom will take me back because I'm dying here. And this is for that person that maybe your back slidings took you way away. She came to her mom's place to find that her key still fit the door. Her room was as she left it with her bed turned back and a candle lit. And when her mom came in from work, there was, of course, the great reunion. And she wept and held her baby. And she said, you know, I just love you so much. I'm so glad you're home. And after all the hugging and the crying and the seeing each other and hugging and crying, she said, Mama, why was my bed turned back? She said, I've been planning on the day for when you come home. And I didn't want you to have to wait or live one more second unforgiven the moment you came home I wanted it to be ready for you let me tell you how great God is he accepted us today our bed was pulled back 
and the past is the past. Amen? Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.